I've talked about depression, I've talked about suicidal ideation, I've talked about experiences. One of the things that saved my life was dance. It saved my life. I have talked about struggling with depression in my late 30s and feeling disconnected from the world and feeling a misalignment between the inner and the outer me. And one of the many forms of therapy that I indulge myself in, and I did a bunch of stuff. One of the things that I did was a form of dance therapy. And I remember that first moment where wordlessly, I allowed myself to move and I wept for hours with relief because I finally felt the freedom. I reconnected not only with my body, but that five-year-old boy who just experienced the joy of running down the street so fast that you thought you could lift up and fly. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Running has changed my life. I never thought I would say that. I really had never had any interest in running, even though I was in the high school track team. The idea of just going out for a run was something that never really intrigued me until I moved to Colorado and until I got lost. There was a point a few years ago where I realized something about myself. I've been living my life up to that point, almost as if my body were a car and I was the driver and the I being my head. And if I only did proper maintenance and I provided the right fuel, the car would go wherever I want, whenever I asked. It was as simple as stepping on the gas and turning the wheel. I'd walled off my head from my body, and then my body sent a message. This is a longer story for another time, but I hit this point where my body was completely overrun by anxiety. As I told people at the time, it just felt like all of my anxiety circuit breakers had been tripped. I dealt with these tremendous physical symptoms, ranging from blurred vision, dizziness, trembling limbs for extended periods of time, months. Like you might do when your check engine light comes on in your car, I responded by getting all kinds of diagnostic tests, and all of them found absolutely, positively nothing. The car was fine. The driver was not. I got to this place where I was willing to do anything. I was really lucky to be supported by my family, my wife, my colleagues, a great therapist, and they all helped me greatly. But as long as I remained in the mode that I was the driver and my body was the car, I continued to hear the clicking engine, but nothing changed until I started to run. And as I started to move my body, as I started to get into my body on the dirt trails of Colorado, with nothing more than me, my breath, stunning mountain views, my feet hitting the dirt, my body working together, with all of that, something started to shift for me. I could feel that I wasn't the driver, I was the car. And even living my life as if I were just the driver and not the car, I was cutting myself off from a vital fuel. I was cutting myself off not only from my vitality, my physical and felt existence, but from a greater wisdom that was present within me, a wisdom and energy I needed to find my way again. Day in and day out, I interact with those who are lost in their own way, like I was, and I can be still. And like me, they are driving through life as if their body is merely a car that will go where they want, when they want, if they just steer it in the right direction. But they're cutting themselves off from the wisdom and vitality 
present in the realization that they are the car. Oftentimes we treat anxiety as this logical problem. If I just throw the right idea at it or work hard enough or work smarter, then it will all go away and I'll be okay. But the truth is, this heady approach to physical challenge takes us further away from the energy we need to find a way forward, the very energy we need to show up and fully live our lives and to find our way again. And the path ahead lies within our bodies, more specifically, the connection between the head, the heart, and the body. And the magic of this wholeness of our experience, we are not only truly alive, but we are prepared to take on whatever life demands of us, whatever we are called on to build, to solve, to care for, to support, to lead. Humane living, humane leadership is rooted in the fullness of being human, being the car. Sidney Mosley is an artist, activist, and educator who produces experiential dance works with her New York City-based dance theater collective, Sidney L. Mosley Dances. She comes to Jerry today as someone who's really an expert at helping people to be in their bodies, to realize they too are the car and not just the driver, and to experience the fullness of their being. In this conversation, Jerry and Sidney discuss how coming back to our bodies instead of living in our heads brings us closer to the wisdom, the energy, and life, and provides the resources we need to take on whatever comes our way. Enjoy. Reboot Your Year is our invitation to you to pause and honor the transition into this new year. This simple yet powerful five-day course will guide you through this annual transition with grace and open you to the promise and hope of the year ahead. The course unfolds through daily emails, each with a koan to consider and a guided journaling practice handcrafted by the Reboot team. Each day's practice takes less than 20 minutes to complete. We hope you'll enjoy this course so much you'll make it part of your annual practice. We've heard from many of you that you have, and you'll share it with teammates and colleagues as well. Learn how to reboot your year at reboot.io slash reboot new year. Hi, Sid. How are you? I am good. How are you? Uh, I am good. I, you know, in the parlance of reboot, we talk about red, yellow, green. Are we in the red? Are we in the yellow and the green? And today I'm in the green. Um, the sky is crystal clear. I can see a mountain off to my left, which always makes my heart burst and sing. And uh, I've actually been looking forward to this conversation for a while, so... Oh, that's yeah. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, let, let's take a moment. Let's get started. And if you could take a moment and just introduce and identify yourself, however feels right to you. Sure. My name is Sydney L. Mosley. Uh, a lot of people ask me what the L stands for. It's Liana, which my dad gave me after himself, he's Stan Mosley, and so I'm Sydney Liana, his firstborn. I am from originally Baltimore, Maryland, which feels very important to say. Uh, both sides of my family are from Baltimore and so have a deep family history there. I got the bright idea that I wanted to dance in New York City, and so at 18, moved to New York, and so now I call New York City my other home. Mm -hmm. And I have actually almost lived 
in New York for as long as I lived growing up in Baltimore. So it's about about even at this right. point. Um, so I claim being a New Yorker now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I am a dancer. I'm a choreographer. I am a teacher. I am a friend. I am mm. a sister. I am a daughter. I'm an auntie. I am mm. a cousin. Um, I'm a niece. And I really love to honor those parts of myself because uh, I don't exist as a single human mm. in this world. Um, I'm a relational person. We are all relational beings. And so it's important to, to name the ways that we are connected uh, in the world. I am a avid foodie. I mm. love to cook and I love to eat. I love to read uh, both fiction and nonfiction, both. I love music. I grew up in a house full of music. My mother in her former life was a singer and a recording artist. And my father uh, was had a, co a college radio show, radio, mm. the Towson University Radio in Baltimore. So there's the love of music that makes me who I am. And I'm a mover. And even though that might be like a given to say, because I'm a dancer in my professional life, just naming that I'm a mover, I'm someone who is embodied, mm -hmm. feels really important. I would be uh, embodied whether or not I was pursuing dance professionally. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that and the fullness of that. And um, I am fascinated by what I know to be true of your story mm. and, and what I've come to know about your story uh, just through the lens of looking at some videos and things like that is a story of do we call it SLM dances yes so yes. SLM dances is what tell us what SLM dances is SLM Dances is a collective of mostly women and non-binary people who've come together to make art, <laughs> to organize in communities using their art, um, specifically around issues of race and gender. Uh, the collective came together. It wasn't always a collective. It was always mm -hmm. named as a collective but it started as a space for me to be an artist and make my work and put my work in the world about 10 years ago. And then from there evolved into a company and from company evolved into collective. Uh, and we're standing really firmly in that space right now. And it feels so good. It feels mm. so good. <laughs> mm. There, there are moments in, in producing this podcast where I just wish we were doing video because mm. if the world could see that smile that's on your face when you say <laughs> it feels so good, it's like, uh, it's hopeful, it's powerful, it's fierce, it's loving all at once. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I was uh, 
drawn to two particular aspects of what I've begun to discover about SLM dances. And the first is uh, the notion of using dance and, and perhaps we'll use the phrase embodied art and expression as a means to lean into and address racial injustice, racial and social injustice. And so that's one area that, that I would love to explore with you. And the other area was a tagline, which is feel human through dance. And um, as I shared with you before we hit the record button, one of my foundational beliefs is that better humans make better leaders and that our problem, many of our problems stem from the fact that those of us who hold power either by way of the meat bag known as my white cisgendered straight body or by role, which oftentimes is connected to one another. When those of us who hold power move away from humanity, we create problems in the world around us. When those of us move towards humanity, we create solutions and opportunity. And so anything that uh, promises a movement towards humanity catches my eye, catches my attention. And, and I am particularly fascinated by the notion of embodiment uh, and what that means. So maybe we'll use that as a jumping off point. You, you self-identified as, as someone who um, uh, is embodied and moves to the world in that way. Can you can you share a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, I think that I just one of my character traits is that I'm a very uh, tactile, um, mm. sensual person. Mm. Uh, I lead with does it taste good? Does it smell good? Does it look good? Does it sound mm. like, are these things pleasing to my senses? And I think that that is an entry point into our humanity. It is an entry point to when you think about markers of culture, markers of culture are the foods that you eat. It is the mm. music that is played. It is the dances that we do. And those markers of culture are how we get to the center of our humanity. You know, when you look at cultures all around the world, the way that they do things might be different, but you know, everyone has a creation story. Everyone mm. has, you know, um, particular rituals around mourning or birth or, you know, celebrating life. Um, and so it feels important to amplify those things. Mm -hmm. For me, particularly as a black woman, self-identified as a black woman, lifting up those stories in that particular experience is really important. You know, I'm at the intersection of a lot of both privileges and oppressions. And what I hope to do with my work, and especially in my work with SLM dances, is sort of leverage my privileges to restore some balance 
for the parts of myself and the communities that I'm connected to that don't have those same privileges. Um, and that feels really important and urgent to me. I know that as the descendant of enslaved people in this country, that there have been a lot of sacrifices that my family and my ancestors have made on my behalf so that I can even dare, have the audacity to say, I'm going to be a dancer and I'm going to make a life of that. I'm going to uh, spend my time and my days bringing people together through movement, whether that's in a performance, whether that is in a class of some sort of educational setting, um, whether that is just being at a dance party and, you know, getting the party started, right? But um, the audacity that I'm going to say, I'm going to spend my whole life every day moving and leading with this thing feels important and it feels like fulfilling something that Maybe my ancestors imagined, maybe not. I think that the self-determination in me deciding that I love moving so much and I love the craft of choreographing and the craft of presenting movement so much that I'm gonna build a life around it. Even if my ancestors had not necessarily imagined like, oh, you know, my great, great, great granddaughter is gonna do this thing. But the fact that I'm in a practice of a self-determined life that in and in and of itself feels like it feels like the thing, right? It feels like what I hope they would want from me. I'm sitting here and, and my heart is just expanding. And it's why, because even as we began talking, even when you started talking about Baltimore, mm -hmm. for for whatever mystical reason the word ancestors popped into my head. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I am A-OK -okay with being totally woo-woo and just pausing and acknowledging the arrival of your ancestors mm -hmm. into this conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, imagining, if you will, the, the pride that they, I have no doubt, feel and that their great-great-great-granddaughter living in Manhattan, living in New York, I presumed Manhattan, um, and is embodying uh, a kind of the, that, you know, to use the terms you used before, the pursuit of the markers of culture audaciously mm -hmm. while acknowledging the living at that intersection between privilege and oppression. Mm -hmm. And, and um, what I see, even through the magical ethers of, of the intertubes and Zoom, mm -hmm. is a full catastrophe human being. Mm -hmm. Just to like, I am here. And you're nodding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is this what it means to feel more human through dance? I hope That's so. That's a leading question. <laughs> you hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I talk about community 
in concentric circles. Mm. So I think of, you know, myself and my relationship with myself as a community. I think about family and friends and kind of my deepest personal intimate relationships as a community. I think of SLM dances as a community. I think of, you know, sort of the bigger, you know, Harlem, the neighborhood that I live in and all of these things um, as communities. And as I interact with each of those circles, often I find myself modeling or asking folks to give themselves their own permission mm. to, to show up, all of you, mm. to be in the practice of self-actualizing, to be in the practice of speaking up for yourself, mm. to be in the practice of paying attention and listening to your body so that you can do those things to be in the practice of that. So that noticing as well as that articulating. Mm -hmm. And as I've got, I think, I think that, that for me is a little bit of something I was born with, mm -hmm. a little bit of something that has been cultivated by, let's say my dad, for instance, who very much taught me about speaking up for myself, advocating for myself, using my voice, how to just speak publicly and mm. practice speaking out loud um, and to be loud, right? So there's a, a, there is a, a bit of uh, nurture on top of that. And then discovering for myself how to do that in my own way. And the dancing is how I do that in my own way. But what happens is I show up in spaces and what is reflected back to me, quite honestly, people tell me because you showed up in this way, it made me feel permission to be myself, to relax, to I've had this, I've been on this campaign in our COVID world with all of the Zooms, normalize wearing your hair bonnet on Zoom. <laughs> you know for black women like having the hair scarf hair bonnet is a thing that is usually reserved for the intimacy and privacy of our homes when we go to mm -hmm. sleep at night to preserve our hairstyles we are on zoom and because we're on zoom you are in my home and so mm -hmm. you are going to see me at home and that is seeing me in the fullness of my humanity mm -hmm. you know I'm not outside, actually. Right, right. I'm inside, if you will. That's yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's a guest in your home. In my home. And I'm also in yours. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. how do we witness each other in the mm -hmm. fullness of that and honor that and reflect that to each other? Um, yes, amen to that i you know i feel you i i hear you i see you and um you know reboot generally and my coaching specifically can come across as a little bit of an oddity because here we are in this sort of world of leadership which seems so 
prefrontal cortex oriented, seems so outcome oriented. And so many folks that I work with are going to recognize, if they're listening to this, are going to recognize that the things that you said to them are the things that we, I and my fellow coaches say all the time. That what you're suggesting is actually a mode of leadership that is, to harken back to what we were saying before, moving us towards humanity. It's that fullness of being human. And so you want to show up on a Zoom call with your hair and your bonnet? Be my guest. Because that's you. That's you. That, that's the fullness of you. And, and, you know, so much of what we struggle with in our organizations and in our society is, as I said before, our, not only do those who hold power, you know, it's one, on the one hand, we've got folks who hold power who are doing harm active harm and then there are the folks who enable the folks who do active harm and i find that those who are enabling are less likely to be evil they're more likely to be to use a a, a phrase that i think my my partner ali stole from some movie mind bottled they're so disconnected from their experience of being human, from their bodies, that they can sense that there's something wrong, but they don't speak up, not only for themselves, but for, the, for justice and for the world that needs to be born, needs to be midwifed into being. Am I resonating with you? Is this resonate with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like um, <laughs> actually a movie reference came up for me mm-hmm. uh, and I can't even remember the name of the movie, but, and I won't give any spoilers, even though you don't know the name of the movie, <laughs> <laughs> but it, the movie was commenting on this exact trend that you're talking mm-hmm. about, right? Like there mm-hmm. are people in power who are evil and they do heinous things, but it is not them that is the most worrisome. It is, it is the, the ones who prop them up and just let them do what they do or enable them to do what they do because they don't want to lose the little bit of power that they're getting by being attached mm-hmm. to this person. Mm-hmm. They don't want to, um, they're worried more about appearances as opposed to what, you know, they are putting out into the world themselves. And there is, it's all at the expense of themselves as well as the expense of people with less power than them. Yeah. Uh, which is heartbreaking. It's yeah. heartbreaking. And if there's anything that I want to cultivate in this world is bringing those connections to self back together. And doing that in a multitude of ways, right? Mm. Because, yes, people need to be just in the practice of being in their bodies. We are, Our culture is so disembodied. It drives me nuts. Mm. Um, and so just bringing people back into a sensory experience through a movement class, through a movement experience on the street, 
Like, let's just play a game and let's hopscotch, you know? Mm -hmm. But just the joy of hopping around (laughs) and like letting that bring you back to yourself. And then on the more formal side, putting uh, work on a stage, dance work on a stage that requires people to participate and to sit up and Mm -hmm. to to lean forward Mm -hmm. and to break that fourth wall in performance and almost always my 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 performers are breaking that fourth wall and going into the audience and creating some kind of connection with individuals right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's never passive it's always engaged Mm -hmm. um it's always keeping you on your toes my one of my collaborators calls me Sydney dances for the people mostly (laughs) 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 because my question whenever we're making some where are the people where are the people what are they doing what are they feeling how are they you Mm. know invested in this at this particular moment in this particular dramatic moment as well as in this particular moment as they're grappling with what's happening you know I want to know because if we're not having that ch- that constant check-in, that constant observation and feedback, like that's the practice. That's the good stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, if I can build upon that. Yeah. So much of what I think is embedded in that better humans make better leaders is, is really connected to what you're saying now. Um, this notion of overcoming, because I think this is, this is what has happened to us, is overcoming the socialization towards disembodiment, the primacy of thought over feeling, the, the, the almost um, consequence of, you know, I often joke that, that Descartes had it so wrong, he said, I think, therefore I am. It's like, no, I am, therefore I think, I exist, I am embodied. And one of the consequences of that is thought. But it's not thought that then creates our existence, right? It's the other way around. And when we, when we, when we can step into leadership and with that knowledge and awareness, and I, and I speak about leadership not as power, but as embodiment, of purpose and belief systems. And and I'm going to steal, I'll attribute it, but I'm going to steal from you your choreographic instruction, which is where are the people, right? (laughs) So much of leadership dialogue doesn't actually take into account where are the people, Because it's actually that interaction, which you did beautifully with your fingers touching one another, that interaction between, in your case, those who have assigned themselves a role of performer and those who have assigned themselves a role of spectator. And that interaction blends into where there is no distinction between performer and spectator. There is no distinction between leader and led, leader and follower. There's just us collaboratively creating the community known as our organization, our society, our people, well, then that all of a sudden becomes a joy-producing experience. 
a love producing experience. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I am responding to you because I know we have listeners in what I call full-bodied agreement (laughs) and nod and rocking back and forth. Uh, My whole self is in agreement with you. Mm. And something that is coming up for me is something that resonates from a racial justice training that done from the People's Institute of Survival and Beyond. And they lead a training called Understanding and Undoing Racism slash Community Organizing. Mm -hmm. And in this training, one of the points that they press, which I believe in wholeheartedly, is that if you are really... um, organizing community, then that means that you are doing leadership training, right? Mm -hmm. And you are creating space for people to be empowered and to be in the fullness of themselves to take it and run. Mm -hmm. And uh, the ability to do that when you are thinking about undoing racism which is getting back to our humanity, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And doing that by continuing to lead. And it is one of my greatest, I think, points of pride within Mm -hmm. the way that SLM Dances has manifested as a collective is that all of these things we're talking about is kind of in the fabric of what goes on in our day-to-day work. And so when artists uh, transition from working with SLM dances and people have gone on to, you know, be, go to, they go to grad school, they become full-time teachers or um, full-time leadership positions in other arts organizations or what have you. But what I see in them is getting passionately, they were already passionately um, connected to a particular issue, but it might be something about disability or immigration or what have you. And they take it and run, right? And so maybe in the dances that we created in SLM Dances, it wasn't explicitly, you know, a disability justice moment, but then when they went on to the next thing that they did, that came out. And so it is such a point of pride for me to Mm -hmm. see what has come out of this container, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this smaller circle that we have been cultivating for a little bit of time. And it's exciting, right? Mm -hmm. Because you think about the ripple effect and uh, the, you know, great, 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 great thinker, Adrian Marie Brown, who mm-hmm. has a book and a process called Emergent Strategy. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that she talks about change is, in fact, this ripple effect that mm-hmm. happens, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, starting small. Mm-hmm. And then from starting small, then we can see the bigger changes ripple out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to see 
the deeper roots of how you perceive embodied movement and dance as a means and currency for moving towards racial justice. And what if I'm if I'm understanding you, it, it's not about me passively sitting in an audience watching a performance and quote learning a lesson. It's about me experiencing the relationship and dare I say that the disembodiment that we spoke about may be uh, one of the ways in which white supremacy and patriarchy manifest themselves. Am I getting that right? Yes, capital Y-E-S underscore exclamation point bold font. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. You know, I'll confess it that I have a profound connection to this that goes beyond an intellectual curiosity. The intellectual curiosity is there. And, and, the, and, and the values-based wish, I want to see the world be different, and I want to see it with my full body. Before I die, I want to see the world move more closely to humanity. Humanity. I have to pronounce the H. I'm from Brooklyn. We don't normally do that. Um, And the way I'm connecting what you're saying isn't just on an an intellectual basis. You know, um, many of the folks who listen to this this podcast, many of the folks who followed my work over the years know that uh, I have stepped more clearly into allowing the fullness of my own experiences to show up. I've talked about depression. I've talked about suicidal ideation. I've talked about experiences. One of the things that, that saved my life was dance. It saved my life. I have not spoken about this publicly, but I have talked about struggling with depression in my late 30s and feeling disconnected from the world and feeling a misalignment between the inner and the outer me. And one of the many forms of therapy that I indulge myself in, and I did a bunch of stuff, but one of the things that I did was a form of dance therapy that would put me in relationship with a woman who was my choreographer, but she was much more than that. She was my guiding spirit. And I remember the first time I allowed myself, notice the words that I use here, I overcame the oppressive socialization that I grew up with, which was do not embody your feelings. That the body is just a meat bag to carry around the head. And I remember that first moment where wordlessly I allowed myself to move and I wept for hours with relief because I finally felt the freedom, a freedom that I had not remembered since I climbed a climbing gym on the school playground 
when I was five or six years old and I hung upside down and the blood rushed to my head and I didn't care what I looked like or who was judging me or any of those things. I just, I reconnected not only with my body, but that five-year-old boy who just experienced the joy of running down the street so fast that you thought you could lift up and fly. I thought of that as I watched the videos on your site. I thought of that as I heard you and I watched your dancers and I watched the people, the guides that I see in SLM dances in the collective. I thought of all that and I remembered all that experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate hearing how powerful, hearing how necessary moving our bodies can be. Mm -hmm. It also, I'm I'm thinking a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what this experience of discovery is for people who have not been in the practice of moving their bodies, generally speaking. And also thinking about how often dancers, trained dancers have a same experience that you're describing. Mm. How often ballet, modern, and a lot of, I would say, Eurocentric forms still teach that disembodiment. As mm-hmm. you know, crazy as that might sound. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when young dancers come to me, we're having these same similar explorations mm-hmm. of just rediscovering the joy of moving for the sake of moving Mm. and what it means to give ourselves permission. And this is actually a prompt in a work that we're doing now. What does it mean to give yourself permission in all the ways in your life? And how many ways we not only are taking on what society has taught us or what our families have taught us, but then the self-policing that happens. And the layers of work, I, I think you sharing your story just made me think about how hard that that discovery and that exploration is even for people who are trained and practiced movers and then that just lets us know like how ingrained it is for us to be disconnected from our bodies i think it's ingrained because i think it's dangerous otherwise it's it's dangerous to the power structures Uh, you know i i think i think that you know what happens I, I, you know, it reminds me of something a dear friend once said to me when I was talking about um, the practice of meditation. 
And she said, you Buddhists, you see, you all sit around and you, you know, you're all like trying to get happy. Well, what's going to happen if we're all happy? As if that's like a bad thing. <laughs> and, you know, and, and in a sense, it's, 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 it's the danger of like, well, what's going to happen if we all fully occupy our bodies? What's going to happen if we all have permission to be ourselves? As if somehow we as a collective society are not going to produce food, not produce shelter, not produce clothing, not take care of ourselves, will somehow not discharge our duties and responsibilities because we're skipping down the street. What nonsense. What nonsense. Right? Oh, God. It is nonsense. And I truly believe that if everyone led from the place of their fullest joy, that everything we needed would be taken care of. People love to do the things. There are people who love sweeping. There are people who love cooking. There are people who love counting money. There are people who love, you know, like, love, it, 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 if everyone is moving from a space of love and full embodiment and full joy and not doing things just because they think they have to. <laughs> something that I've been thinking a lot about is what is ecosystem and not necessarily in just like, you know, trees and air and birds <laughs> ecosystem, but uh, the ecosystems of our communities as far as resources in the most broad sense, and how does everyone get what they need? Mm -hmm. And how I think in our most functioning societies, our most functioning communities, that I have, I'm creating a circle with my hands and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of moving them, creating this circle and moving them around because there's something about the the constant shifting of things to where the where they need to be and the constant practice of balance in dance a lot of times we talk about balance is not a place to arrive at uh but balance is a practice it is a journey it is um even you know for us to be sitting in our chairs right now there are multiple muscle groups in our bodies that are in conversation to create this sense of balance that we're sitting up in our chairs right and so to bring this back to community ecosystems there's something about all of us in those ecosystems leading from a place of joy doing the things that need to get done and everyone is doing their part right in the way that they can do their part, in the way that feels good to them, in a way that makes them feel valuable and valued, in a way that satisfies the various needs. And when we can be honest about like, oh, this is my capacity and I can't do it today, that if we're all working in this together, that I could say, hey, Jerry, can you take that on, right? And, and someone listening to this might be like, oh, this is such a like utopian idea, blah, 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 but, no, actually, it's happening, right? Like, it's happening in Esalen Dance's collective. It's happening in other smaller communities that I'm a part of. And so 
coming back to that idea of that that ripple effect how are we continuing and and the ripple effect and the leadership that continues to flow out in each person who's having this experience of being in this place taking it to the next place and so i think that your dream of seeing something a happier society a healthier society before transitioning is absolutely possible if you're not seeing it already i'm honestly this pandemic i'm so grateful for it because i'm seeing it all over i don't know what it's like in the communities where where you're located but all over new york city right now there's a community refrigerator movement happening the community refrigerator is it's a refrigerator often you know powered by a local business literally the electricity community members fill it with food fresh food veggies bread etc um the food comes from local farms local restaurants that have excess at the end of the night etc etc and it is stocked full and whoever wants food or needs food can get food for free and this is happening all over new york city as a result of the pandemic and what has happened the impact of that is there's actually less food scarcity less people stealing from restaurants or things like that in the neighborhood because they have access to what they need i will tell you that i am seeing that as well across different organizations i'm seeing that you know they they may be using different words for it they may use words like flow and they may be using words like oh there's a whole new remote work like I was in conversation with a former client just the other day whose London-based business, you know, the employees are now a diaspora. They're everywhere. They have gone back to homes, they have gone back to ancestral places, they are are reconfiguring their lives and he's sitting there saying, "I'm going to take the money that I would normally spend on commercial rent and I'm going to pay for things like therapy for them. I'm going to pay for things that like manage their lives in a way and we laughed and you know he his ancestors were coal miners coal miners in wales right and the, he comes from community where communities took care of one another right um uh where where we rolled up our sleeves and said you know i have a neighbor who's in need and so i have exer and i will give and and you know my fervent wish is that coming out of the dumpster fire that is 2020 that this spark turns into embers which turns into a flame which kind of heats and energizes the rest of us because we need to be doing better across the board right you know uh to be political for a moment joe biden's campaign slogan about build back better that's the piece that really makes sense to me i don't want to return to what it was i want to return to what i know what it can be and what it can be is far better than what it was and that's the opportunity that's in front of us absolutely i will say that i'm political always 
the personal is political. Everything about me is a politic. And the thing that I said at the top of this pandemic, and I still say is what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. But it's so exciting to me. Yes, this year has been disappointing. It has been full of grief. We have lost loved ones. We have lost jobs. It has been felt scarce. And also, it is an opportunity. It is the greatest opportunity, mass global opportunity that we've had in what, a century? Or more. (laughs) Or more. And my deepest deepest wish is that people a notice what's happening and in order to notice what's happening you have to stop you have to stop get off the hamster wheel rest notice release I'm and I and I want to name specifically because I've been in this pedagogy for a few days recently my friend Allegra Romita is a practice called functional awareness. And so these are the steps of the practice that she has defined. Notice, release any judgment about what you noticed. Decide, make a choice. Is this what I wanna keep doing? Do I wanna make a different choice? Maybe you need to recruit some new functions, all to restore towards a balance. That's that's the opportunity that we have right now. And I'm grateful to Allegra and actually her mother, Nancy Romita, for co-developing that framework co-naming that framework because if we don't do that now, when, you know? Well, I've missed the opportunity to live our lives fully. This is not the way we expected to receive permission to be ourselves, but nevertheless, here it is. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and for better or for worse, I've, I know that I present as a very optimistic person. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I know that um, I tend to speak in an ideal and utopian terms. But I think it is important to name, I have been feeling the pain and yet I'm still excited. I'm still excited by what is possible. And I hope that me showing up in the fullness of my excitement (laughs) of what can be does inspire some other folks to think about what is possible, to pause, to rest, to go to sleep, to dream, very literally go to sleep and dream. 
about what else your life can be, how else you can be interacting in the world, how, you know, recognizing what the abundance of resources you have, money or not, what are the resources, where do you need to shift those resources so that we all can have. Sydney, I, I can't thank you enough for opening up your heart and coming on the show and having this dialogue. Um, you know, this is part of a, a, a much broader movement towards that humanity. And uh, uh, I am super excited to, to get the word out about SLM dances. Um, I know that you're a nonprofit, and so those folks who are moved to support, um, you know, be joining me in supporting SLM dances. Um, I think that the work you do is incredibly important. And so I'll close out by just saying thank you. Um, it is just you, you lifted my spirits and you lifted my day, and it's just a delight. And thank you for becoming part of the Reboot family. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash signup so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of We often talk about the work of rebooting your leadership as individual work you can't do alone. If each member of your leadership team is pursuing the work of self-inquiry and actualization, that's wonderful. But to create the company that you'd all like to work for, you must also create the opportunity for the collective to grow. Experiences like facilitated leadership groups, off-site retreats, organizational change explorations, and immersive leadership trainings move the organization closer to its fullest expression of the inherent values. At Reboot, we're here to support you and your team members in bringing forth the best that you have, using everything that emerges from organizational life, both the challenges and successes, as opportunities to grow. Head to reboot.io slash team experiences to learn more and more about Reboot's virtual and in-person team offerings.